I want to begin by telling you a story. And the story is, uh, I did not grow up in the Catholic tradition. I don't know how many of you might have, but it's interesting as an outsider looking in, the Pope is an interesting person to me. And as you look at Popes as they come and they go, um, at least two out of the last three, uh, Pope John Paul and Francis, the current one, but not necessarily Benedict, have been so wildly popular in, in the masses' imagination and in their minds and in their following. And again, perhaps because I didn't grow up in it, it's just fascinating to me to see at a level of reverence, enthusiasm, and popularity. Now, the Pope makes a visit, especially to a historically Catholic country, and the place just shuts down as if the Olympics had come to town. Not only that, if you Google, you know, Pope apparel, Pope swag, there's this whole market pay place of a product line that's, that's venerating the Pope. I mean, there's t-shirts, there's mugs, there's boxers, there's, there's, there's bobbleheads, there's buttons and pennants, and there's linens in case you wanted to sleep with the Pope. There's petware, there's even Pope on a rope. People get Pope gear like we do if we're attending a college football game. And, and that's the thing. People love him. They adore him. They honor him. They respect him like crazy. And again, outsider looking in, they just don't obey him. That's what's fascinating. That someone can be so wildly popular and yet people don't obey his teaching. The Vatican in Italy. Italy is 99% Catholic and in 2014 had the lowest number of live births since 1861. It's so low that politicians have declared that they're a dying nation without... And with the churn of immigrants, there won't be anyone left in the next 300 years of Italians. Why? Abortion, birth control, and a sexual ethic that's completely divorced from Catholicism. But the other extreme is no better. If you look at the right, in the birth control, or excuse me, there's popes that were strident in their stance against unrestricted capitalism, the death penalty and solving things by violence. But people make the pilgrimage, they love the guy, and then they start another war to gain market shares for rare earth minerals. How is it that you can listen to someone's teaching for years, hold them in the highest regard, and then the teaching just sort of bounces off? See, this isn't just a 21st century problem. It's a human problem. I believe whether it be in the Catholic Church or in our world, particularly in our country, we don't have a leadership problem. We have a followership problem. And I think good followership always precedes good leadership. And good followership begins with our ability, before we get any titles, positions, or influence, our own ability to trust and obey. Even if we don't understand, even if we don't agree, there is this followership that's needed, that's, that precedes good leadership. You see a bad leader, I'm going to ask the question, did they ever learn to follow? So this series that we started a couple weeks ago is called Speaking Truth to Power. 
And you might feel powerless, but you have more control than you realize. But speaking truth to power as Christians is about finding strength as the people of God to learn to walk humbly and to love mercy and to act justly. Now, in the three weeks so far, we've looked at the boy Samuel who came to power in Israel by his ability to listen to God's voice, even when at the time the word of the Lord was rare. That's what it, we read about in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Then the next week, we looked at the man, Samuel, who had become judge and, and prophet over all of Israel. And he spoke to the power of the masses who were demanding a king, which was also rejecting the theocracy, the covenant of God as their king. This week, we see how Samuel speaks truth to the power of a king but really, he speaks truth to the power of all of us that we all have for any of us who wants to do the right thing, but is tempted to do it on our own terms, in our own timing. And there is a phrase that you've probably heard many times before, but I want to unpack that phrase that says, obedience, it's better to obey than sacrifice. Those are the powerful words he speaks to all of us struggling with control and in a sense of God's timing. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15, and we'll read a couple of verses. I want to make a couple of observations, but you'll see the, the passage uh, in the chat section if you'd like to follow along. Um, but if you have your Bible, you might want to make some notes as we go. But it says this, <clears throat> it says, beginning in verse 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel, and this is what God said, I am grieved, in other words, brokenhearted. You got to be bummed when God starts out with, he's brokenhearted, that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled and he cried out to the Lord all that night. And early in the morning, Samuel got up. And when Samuel got up, uh, he went to meet Saul, but he was told that Saul had gone to Carmel. And there he had set up a monument in his own honor uh, and has turned and gone away to Gilgal. And that was the place where he was originally inaugurated and told what it would mean to be the king of Israel. So let me just pause there for a second. It was not unusual for a king to erect a monument in his own honor after a battle or after a victory. But God had explicitly said, I'm going to give them into your hands. It's going to be me, not you. But I want you to eliminate everything. In other words, don't take any of the spoils of war. How did you build wealth back then? You either A, inherited it, or you conquered it. And when you conquered it, you took the best of the best for yourself, whether it be slaves, or whether it be livestock, or whether it be treasures. And God said, listen to me, take none of it for yourself, except that not only did he not listen, they took it for themselves and he built an honor as if he had something to do with the victory. And so we read another verse when Samuel reached him, he's like, 
Saul, thinking nothing of it, goes, oh, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. <laughs> Clearly, he's less than honest in his statements to Samuel. He's been told to save nothing, no spoils of war. But we read on. Samuel said, what then is the bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is the lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, well, you know, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle in order to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Stop, Samuel said. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he goes, well, tell me. And he says, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you over king of Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy these wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why do you not do as the, obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites uh, and brought the, back Agag, the king. The soldiers took the sheep and the cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as is enjoying the, uh, obeying the voice of the Lord? For to obey is better than sacrifice. So what we have is this picture, a picture of someone doing it on their own terms. I'm going to say yes to following you on my terms. I'm going to say yes to following you in my timing. God, you and I working together can make this thing really work better. And this is where a political leader shifts responsibility and he blames it on the army to excuse their action claiming good intentions. No, the soldiers took the plunder. And his words are obedience is better than sacrifice. And again, I would say followership precedes leadership. You want to be a good boss? Learn to take direction. You want to be a great teacher? Learn how to take instruction. You want to be a great parent or a great spouse? Learn to apologize and take responsibility for your own shortcomings. That's what it means to follow. And learning followership always starts with our ability to trust and obey. And we have that model in Christ. So as Samuel speaks truth to power, and in this place it's King Saul, he doesn't suggest that sacrifice is unimportant. Instead, he places a premium on obedience as a sign of love. Now, that's what we don't understand. Obedience as a sign of love. See, if we truly love someone, think about it, we're more likely to not feel 
obligated, right? Obedience involves not only doing what we've heard God say to do, but doing it with, with the right heart, with the good attitude. I remember reading once this passage in 1 John chapter 5, and 1 John 5, 3 says this, and this is love for God, that you would obey my commands. And I was like, oh, that doesn't feel like love. That feels like obligation. But the next part of the verse says this, but my commands are not burdensome. 1 John 5, 3, this is love for God, that you would obey my commands. Oh, and by the way, my commands are not burdensome. So to you and I, if following God feels like a chore, if it feels like an obligation, if somehow doing your Christian duty lacks the kind of joy, it's probably an intimacy issue. And so the kind of obedience that God is inviting us to is not rooted in being a good foot soldier, learning to take orders, but learning to be connected with the heart of God. This is what it means. So oftentimes, I would say that obedience can feel like a forced apology when the person isn't really sorry, right? It's like saying to your kids, tell them you're sorry, hug it out, shake hands, and you can tell there's not an ounce of remorse, but because you're forcing them to, they do it. But it's more than one person getting their way and the other person losing. It's not a winner and a loser. When the relationship is based on love. Now, I want to unpack this phrase. This phrase, to obey is better than sacrifice, is found in different forms and in different ways throughout Scripture. But the idea of it is rooted in this deeply um, need-to-be-understood character of who God is in covenant relationship. In fact, if you don't understand this, you will often see God or view God as angry, full of wrath, maybe intimidated by him or less than loving. So this phrase is found in many places in the Bible. One time, Jesus was eating a meal with some people who were considered unclean. You know, those sinners, those people outside the walls of the church. And the religious leaders asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors or the white-collar criminals of their day and the sinners, the prostitutes, and, 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 and the people who were living um, beneath the social norm? Well, when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. This is in Matthew chapter 9. So this verse that Jesus quotes is often translated, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. But the word mercy here is, is not really a sufficient translation because it sounds like also what we're talking about, obedience, not sacrifice. The word is chesed. In Hebrew, we say chesed. And the meaning for chesed is wide in the Hebrew understanding. It can mean as many things as loving kindness loyalty, faithfulness, covenant faithfulness, allegiance, 
constant love, a love that lasts, or loyal love. And my point is this, when we begin to understand what God is inviting us into, this kind of obedience, this is exactly who God is as obedient within covenant relationship. This isn't a consumer relationship. This isn't a conditional relationship. Put simply, chesed is the glue of covenant relationship. It's what sticks two parties together, whether it be a marriage, a family, a deep friendship, maybe even a tribe or a church family. We're not bound together simply by what we can get out of the deal. We're bound together by Christ's dying sacrificial love. And that gives us a glimpse into covenant relationship. So we're not always good at it, but it is entirely who God is. And so Jesus affirms that sacrifice without obedience will always keep God at a distance. And what God wants is real relationship with us. And so maybe we could say it this way. For I desire relationship, not just sacrifice. There's a lot of times we grow up believing that these are the things we're supposed to do. Oh, I'm supposed to volunteer, or I'm supposed to tithe, or I'm supposed to act nice, or I'm supposed to do people favors. No, no, no. Those things are all beautiful and good and can be well-intentioned. But what God is inviting us into is a kind of loyal love. Sacrifice was and is important, but the cart must not go before the horse. God's purpose is relationship. And in this case, Saul has made his own rules and he's justified it. See, this is who God is when we enter into covenant relationship through Jesus. He's not looking at us to be a good foot soldier who knows simply how to follow rules. He courts us into an intimate, committed relationship free of both scorekeeping and is full of faithfulness despite our sometimes faithlessness. So you know what you know what chesed love looks like? You know what obedient love looks like? It looks like a weary father who drives through the night to bail out his drug-addicted son out of jail. It looks like a mom who spends day after day thankless day, spoon-feeding and wiping up after her disabled child. It looks like obedient love like this, a caring child caring for an aging adult without losing their patience. Because that's what they did for you as a wee lad. It looks like, it looks like an unsung volunteer who's consistently serving the church families and the kids in there in a Sunday school class, despite a difficult marriage and hoping that someone else can care for their own kids. There is a sacrificial but obedient love. So let me just point it out this way. Western education assumes that knowledge and understanding precede obedience, but faith in Christ assumes that obedience always precedes discipleship. 
Now, let me say that one more time so we can understand maybe some of the limitations in our own seeking after God. Our Western understanding, our Western education assumes that if I get the right knowledge and I understand, then now I can obey. So if I know the details, if I know the whys, then I'll give my life to it and I'll give my whole heart. But when we say yes to Christ in faith, what we're doing is following, obeying, which is always part of our discipleship process. We learn to trust and obey even when we don't understand or even agree with God's timing or God's calling. In the 11th century, King Henry III of Bavaria was so tired of being the ruler of the land. And he was so weary of the pressures of being a monarch. So he applied to Prior Richard at a local monastery, and he, ex and he, became, and he got asked uh, to be, ex well, he was asking to be accepted um, and understand the pledge here. Do you understand that what it means to be, like, accepted here is a pledge of absolute obedience? And he says, listen, that will be hard for you because you've already been a king. In fact, I think the same can be said about many of us. Obedience will be hard for you because you're rationally educated and you've been taught that you deserve inherent rights as an American. But this is what Prior Richard says to the king. And, and, and King Henry says, I understand. But he says, the rest of my life, I will be obedient to you as Christ leads you. Well, then he says, then I will tell you what to do. Go back to your throne and serve faithfully in the place where God has put you. And when King Henry died, a statement was written. The king learned to rule by being obedient. Was he heavy-handed? No. He was gracious, as God had been gracious with him. He was loyal, as God had been faithful to him. When we tire of our roles and our responsibilities, even though we might not find ourselves as king, it helps to remember that God has planted us in a certain place and told us to be a good accountant, to be a good sales manager, to be a good attorney, to be a good teacher, to be a good parent, to be a good neighbor. Christ expects us to be faithful where he puts us, and when he returns, we will rule together with him. To obey is better than sacrifice. See, sacrifice for the greater good of a relationship will always be needed. To build and grow a church requires sacrifice. It's a part of any relationship that's worth having. But obedience, a kind of loyal love, not merely kindness, but dependable kindness. Not merely affection, but the affection that's committed is where we find our strength in God. And that's the kind of obedience we're talking about. See, the reason obedience is better than sacrifice is because it requires us to trust God as a loving father. And the more we trust, the more we begin to align our hearts with God's heart. 
and then salvation actually becomes transformational. My commands, they're not even burdensome. If and when you realize my love for you. See, obedience can feel wearisome, but what we realize is it's safe to risk because love is always the reward. Can I pray with you? Our Father in heaven, I, I fully confess and I'm fully aware that we wear thin and we want to follow you. We want to be intimate with you, but we come up woefully short. We take shortcuts and we don't always like your timing, but I pray that we could follow you with a kind of faith and obedience, a kind of trust that we would attribute to a loving father. So as you court us into that kind of covenant love, I pray that we would surrender areas of our lives yet to be surrendered. And I pray that we would walk in covenant relationship with you, not convenient relationship, not comfortable relationship, but committed relationship for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health, that we would dedicate our lives to following you and it would be a reflection of who you are to those around us. I pray that you would deepen an affection for us as we realize your faithfulness to us. Now receive this time as an act of worship, we pray, and meet us here. In Jesus' name, amen.